Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Civil Service World podcast. My name is Richard Johnston. I'm the acting editor of Civil Service World. And in today's podcast, we are joined by the government's chief commercial officer, Gareth Rees-Williams, to discuss the function's response to the coronavirus pandemic. Obviously, COVID-19 has placed unprecedented pressure across all of government. And in this interview, Gareth speaks about how the commercial function responded in the months since March. I started by asking him when he realised that coronavirus was going to have the impact that it has. Gareth Rees-Williams, thank you very much for joining us on the Civil Service World podcast. Um, we wanted to get your uh, reflections on the um, impact of coronavirus on the commercial profession and function in government. I guess the first place to ask to start is to ask when you realised the impact that coronavirus was going to have. Well, Richard, um, thanks very much for asking me onto this. And um, I think it's an important subject, so I hope this is interesting uh, for, for your listeners. I guess that we're in February and March, um, we were all watching the telly and, you know, seeing the charts and so on. And, you know, at that time, um, you know, do you remember all those ghastly pictures from, from Italy uh, that got everybody worried? But I think the, the thing that really triggered me was a couple of colleagues coming back uh, from a COBRA meeting, uh, talking about the urgent need for ventilators. Uh, it was the thing that struck me. Uh, most uh, and struck them most uh, out of that meeting. That's what really uh, triggered us into thinking. Hang on, uh, what can we what can we do to lean in and uh, help colleagues in in the NHS? Mm-hmm. And that, that I think was uh, I think Friday the uh, Friday the twelfth, I think of uh, uh, or maybe Thursday the twelfth of uh, of March. So was that among the kind of immediate steps that you took when when you realised that was around the ventilators? Yeah, because you know we had the pandemic uh, store of PPE, and at that time that was that was viewed as being uh, sufficient. But the message that came back was, I think it uh, came back from uh, Sage that we needed, um, you know, many thousands of, of ventilators, uh, because at that, at that time that was viewed as as the only way of, of treating the disease, and <laughs> um, the NHS had. Uh, a few thousand, uh, but the sage ask or the sage uh, feeling was we needed ninety nine zero thousand. I think at that time we had about nine thousand uh, all in, um, and that's what prompted us to think. Well, we need to accelerate what we're doing to buy ventilators. But DH already had a team on that and was scouring the globe. And I'm an engineer by background, and it occurred to me, well, what can we do uh, to see if we can make any? we might well um, fail in the attempt, but at least we should try. And that uh, kicked off a uh, series of meetings on that uh, Friday, uh, which then translated into the ventilator challenge. And on the ventilator challenge point, before we move on to some of the other um, commercial issues that, that arose, um, do you look back on that and think, you know, think that was a, a a, a remarkable success in the, the short time that it was put together. How do you reflect on it now? Now we've kind of passed the perhaps the, the initial first peak of it. So fortunately, we didn't need ninety thousand ventilators. Those forecasts turned out to be too pessimistic, which is great news. 
Um, what we did manage to do in very short time was boost the NHS's capacity to 30,000, which uh, even in that first peak, I think the maximum that were ever used is about 3,000. So we've got plenty spare. And in, in two ways, I think this is an astonishing achievement. Um, we built from scratch, from you know, designs that were similar to a ventilator, but not quite. They were designs for a, a, an anesthesia machine, which is different to a ventilator in the same way that a diesel car is different from a petrol car. So it sort of looks the same, but it's quite different actually under the bonnet. And we scaled that up in record time. We had about seven and a half thousand people uh, working uh, ferociously on that. Not only building the ones we, that we did actually put into production, but we had five other designs ready to go had we needed, um, needed more volume than it turned out we did need. And we did all that in three months. And that compares to the industry, one of the industry leaders said it takes them five years to get a design into production. And we did all that in three months. So just an astonishing achievement by civil servants working really closely with multiple partners in industry, um, absolutely flat out. It was just a, a triumph of joined up government, I think, and a real showcase for British engineering. And the NEN liked it. You don't see very, you don't see every day. Well, well indeed. Um, we'll come on to some of the, the lessons that come from that perhaps in a second, but just you mentioned PPE as well. When did that become a, a, a procurement issue when did you realise that was going to going to need you, the work of the the uh, central teams? So we had uh, there's a an excellent procurement team uh, in the uh, organisation that supplies the NHS uh, SSCL, and they've been buying PPE, and we had a big pandemic stock. But it turned out that that, that the equipment in that that stock wasn't uh, what we needed, and of course the demand, as you'll all remember, just went through the roof. At the same time as supply from China, because much of it came from China, and was curtailed because, of course, the Chinese had their own COVID problems and a number of factories were shut. Um, so you had soaring demand, restricted uh, at supply, and lots and lots of intermediaries thinking that they should get into this market and basically hawk stuff around that they either did have or were trying to get or perhaps actually did, did have. And... Uh, you remember the gazumping word in, in, in house buying. I mean, this was just rife. And the team we had on that rapidly uh, got swamped. And we went from a team of about 50 to, uh, we added in about another 500 people um, from across government. Uh, uh, DNS uh, lent in, DFE, pretty much you know, lots of departments, obviously the, the commercial central teams as well, putting together a team to triage the uh, uh, offers of help that were coming in. I think we had 30,000 uh, offers of help uh, came in, in in response to one of the Prime Minister's calls to arms, which we needed to, to sift through. Um, and that was an enormous success, but again, starting from a standing, standing start. And I think that shows the flexibilities of, of civil servants generally, but I think also the strength of the functional model in that, you know, across the commercial function, we knew where people were who could help. And of course they did jump in and do just that. Obviously we're moving into what looks like a, a second uh, 
spike in terms of cases. The Prime Minister has made his announcement last week that the current kind of restrictions are going to apply probably for around six months. When you look at the, the lessons from that initial response, is the um, commercial and procurement function in government um, better prepared for what it's going to face in the months ahead to take the lessons from the initial response? Well, I think we did a, we've done a good job so far, frankly, and the commercial policy teams that need to take a, a big um, a big amount of the, the praise on that. So remember, it's not just the things like PPE that we need to buy. It's not just things like ventilators, which we buy and build. But there's the whole of the rest of government needs to keep going, and the whole of the rest of the public sector needs to keep going. So a couple of the changes in what might sound fairly dry procurement policy notes were transformative, and they came out uh, in early March, doing two things. One, um, allowing what's called the Regulation 32 emergency buying, which effectively allows um, allows uh, procuring colleagues uh, to, to move on sort of emergency measures and do things much, much quicker. And secondly, uh, guidance to councils, schools, contracting authorities right the way through the country, um, encouraging them to A, pay their suppliers promptly, but also to keep the performance payments going as they would have been doing um, you know, pre-COVID, which sounds like a very simple thing, but of course what it's meant is that thousands of vendors who depend on government work have seen continued cash flow into their businesses and have not fallen over in the way that we would have done had we not done that. And I think what has been really satisfying here has been how welcoming and um, thankful the CBI, FSB, other industry groups have been about that. They've really seen government working with them uh, to, you know, to, to deal with what has been you know, a, a, huge, uh, a huge issue. Now, of course, we'll be better prepared next time because we've now practiced something that we never thought we would have to do. So um, um, we'll be better, wiser, perhaps slightly tireder. Um, <clears throat> but I think, uh, you know, our, our reaction first time round uh, was, 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 was pretty good. A lot of these procurement issues, particularly around uh, PPE and things, have been very high profile in the press. Do you think the the way it's been uh, covered and perceived has been has been fair? Gosh, we never criticise the press, although you know that doesn't work. But I think a lot of the you know they pick on the negatives, don't they? Um, the the reality is, we stood up a team from nowhere buying products that they hadn't bought before, and they did it brilliantly. And yes. For a few uh, short weeks at the, the front end of the process, we didn't have enough. That's enormously regrettable. We've now got, you know, you know, warehouses uh, um, full of product. And yes, the press have picked up on a couple of of uh, issues um, about who did we buy from. The uh, the government internal audit uh, team have been through that and have found uh, no smoking guns. Um, and I think. The last time I checked, the quality stat was that of the, the product that had been delivered at the time I got the stat, I think 0.13%. 0.13%. So, you know, <coughs> quite a small percent of product arrived out of spec. 
So that's with a new team dealing with new vendors the other side of the world. That's that's astonishingly uh, good. You know, um, if Sainsbury's uh, did that well, you'd, you'd you'd feel pretty good about it. So um, while of course ministers are right to be impatient, the public is right to be impatient. I, th I think uh, given the scale of the uplift, uh, colleagues should feel uh, quite proud of what they what they achieved there. You mentioned there the collaboration and the. Um joined up working across the, the civil service um it's something that you and i have discussed before and i'd urge everybody who's listening to this to um look at the previous interviews that gareth has uh, kindly done for civil service world but ha has the the covid response kind of shown that the obstacles to that kind of joined up working can be overcome or shown which ones are kind of essential and which ones can be mitigated somewhat? Like how, what can you take from how it happened this time to apply it more generally? I think the analogy I used last time was, was because I think it was during the time of the World Cup, wasn't it? Um, was, you know, a football team would never go out to play without the goalie. Someone would look around and say, hang on, where's, where's the goalie? We can't start without them. Um, and I'd, and I'd, I was using that example just to explain that you know, a good project team needs one of everybody there. They need the finance colleague, they need the policy colleague, he's probably leading that discussion. They need the commercial colleague, they need whoever it is that's going to be managing the contract when it's put into place. Uh, and, and, you know, and others. So uh, I think what working in an emergency situation in a very high speed, high, um, high pressure, environment does is it is that message comes home to everybody very very quickly because the thing is happening at such speed that you don't have time to catch up the bits that got missed so everybody's in the meeting together and i think if we can obviously we don't want to be going through the COVID experience uh, anymore um, but i think if we can retain that fast way of working um that's not quite so fast uh, that sort of joined up way of working that will be a huge benefit to um, to the way the civil service works um, and, and the way we're able to uh, deliver and, and that really ties totally into the, the better results theme of the reform agenda. And yeah the, the reform agenda is as you say ongoing and going to be very interesting um, there's a lot of work in train in the the function that I know that you have been involved in, contract management capability program to improve commercial and contract management practice, um, things that upskilling the profession and the function across Whitehall. Has all that work uh, had to stop during uh, COVID or has that been kept going? So some and some. I mean, the reality is, Richard, isn't it, that everyone has been working their socks off uh you know for for months now and so the time you know the time available for training and and, and personal development has you know had to go on the side of, uh, on the back burner for a lot of people um our reaction to that has been to move all our courses online we already had a really fantastic uh contract management foundation course uh online and if there's anyone listening who hasn't signed up for that it's free uh it's uh, uh available through civil service learning and, and other platforms it's absolutely fantastic if you're managing a contract managing a vendor please do that and there's there's further courses lying behind that couldn't resist the plug 
Um, That's one each. What even though? We've had nearly ten thousand people uh, on that uh, so far, and my target is thirty thousand. And so we've you know we've had to pause some of those things. We've moved our assessment centre online, which I think will make it more inclusive um, in in all senses of the word, which is is good. And um, we're continuing to to reach out to colleagues in the wider public uh, sector. Uh, to uh, invite them into the, the same training. And, and the reason that's important is it's not just, I mean, we, we will deliver better as a public sector if we're all better trained, that's sort of obvious. Um, but the people that the commercial teams and the contract management teams are dealing with are our vendors. And if they see the same method and the same approach and the same level of skill, no matter where they touch us, whether that's in a local council, uh, or in a university, or in central government, or an alternate body, then their performance, you know, will rise uh, uh, to to meet that, and that's one of the reasons uh, why uh, Lord Agnew uh, and other ministers have been so keen to push the uh, attention to detail on KPIs, key performance indicators that are in every contract, and indeed the publishing of the top three of those. And so I think we can see that uh, exercise. The first lot went uh, uh, were published last month, and I think we're going to see every month more and more contract uh, outcomes being published. I think that's good for transparency. Uh, it's good um, uh, for citizens to to see that actually, guess what? Who knew? The vast majority of what the civil service does and public sector uh, public servants do is done brilliantly. Uh, I think that will just underline that. Um, but also, you know, it, it sends a good message to our vendors uh, that uh, that uh, they need to, to keep up to the mark as well. So I think uh, some of those things have continued, uh, Richard. Obviously, not as fast as we would have liked, but they've not, not stopped completely. Um, and yeah, you mentioned the wider public sector there. Obviously, that this has been quite a procurement challenge for different parts of the public sector outside central government, where the local government, NHS, um, different bodies. Um, what have you been doing to kind of help them uh, deal with these challenges as much as you can? So the, the regulation changes uh, and uh, clarifications that we put out in March, of course, affect everyone uh, in, in the country. And I think those have been really helpful um, for wider public sector colleagues. And then there's also the training uh, that we talked about. And, and coming up next year, once we've um, got our legislative slot, hopefully, uh, to push through the new procurement rules, we, we're going to have to involve a, and, and get on with a massive training exercise uh, in order to uh, explain what those changes are, what those you know, new freedoms are uh, for colleagues, so that they not only become aware of them, but are encouraged to use them and use them confidently uh, to, to best effect. And a final question, if I may, well, again, we've sort of touched on it, but it'd be good to just get your closing thoughts on it. The the role the function can play in that wider kind of civil service reform agenda. How how do you see um, see that playing out? Well, I think you know the the first item on the um, uh, on the on the on the reform uh, list, and there's you know some some items beneath it, uh, but it's great people. And I think what a function can do, whether it's the commercial function that, that, uh, that I'm involved with, 
or the or the other functions, IPA, HR, finance, is to you know try and drive up the capability and scale uh, of people in that function, no matter where they work, whichever department they work in, but also the way those colleagues have joined up one to another, sharing best practice, avoiding mistakes that you know will inevitably inevitably creep in. But uh, you know what what we want to do is be able to detect a mistake that anyone does make and not repeat it. That's the thing, isn't it? Um, and we want to share best practice, which exists everywhere in the civil service. Um, but if nobody knows about it, it doesn't do us all so much good. So that great people agenda, particularly in the reform agenda, um, is something that functions can really, I, th I think functions are the key uh, to, to unlocking that, actually. And I, th I think what we've seen in the last Gosh, now it's now six months. Uh, really, um, really underlined that. I think that's uh, very true. Um, thank you very much, uh, Gareth, for joining us uh, on this special Civil Service World podcast. Uh, I think that's a really interesting insight to the challenges that the commercial function has faced uh, in the last six months. Richard, uh, thank you, and thank you to everyone who's, who's listening in. And please. Back to the plug. If you haven't signed up for the online contract management training, please do so. You'll enjoy it. So thanks very much to Gareth for joining us in the podcast this week. I should say at this point there are some legal challenges uh, to some of the government's procurement decisions uh, during the coronavirus pandemic that we were obviously unable to touch on in the podcast for uh, legal reasons. But I think that uh, interview was a very good insight into the pressures that the commercial teams in government have been facing and I'm sure that is replicated across lots of different functions and departments in government and we would like to hear from you to share your stories. Uh, this is the second in our series of podcasts looking at how government has responded. If you haven't listened to the first one with HMRC's uh, Second Permanent Secretary and Deputy Chief Executive Angela MacDonald on how they stood up the coronavirus job retention scheme and the other economic support programs so quickly, then please uh, do so. And if you would like to share your story of how your department or function or agency has responded to COVID-19, please get in touch with us. I am on Twitter at Rich R. Johnstone, or you can find all of our contact details on the Civil Service World website. Thank you very much again for listening and we will speak again soon.